morning. Our scripture reading today is Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25, and you can follow along on page 9 in your worship booklets. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. If an alien, a visitor from another planet, were to arrive on the scene today and begin to look around at the state of the world that we live in, or if a child all of a sudden had the ability to have an awareness of everything that was going on around them, and then be able to speak what they were seeing to us. What do you think that they would say? What were the things that maybe if someone were to ask this, this visitor from another world or this incredibly gifted child, one word to describe what you see happening today? What word pops into your brain? The word that popped into my brain was division. Now that could be because sometimes I tend to be a half glass full kind of person. Could be that before Holy Spirit really moved into my life and changed how I see the world, I was a cynic by nature and really loved Stoic philosophers who said, don't put your emotions into anything, just know that it's bad. Not all Stoic philosophers said that, but the ones I like did. And, and so maybe it's just me that I look at the world and I see disagreements that take place that lead in a staircase towards disunity and division and ultimately destruction. And it can be very large, epic things where people are siding on political spectrums or international affairs, that they're saying this is this way or this is this way. If you believe this, then you're that. And if you believe, and it could be as simple as how you actually put away the clean beach towels. Are you a square folder and then stack, or are you a fold over and then roll and put them up? Oh, you're just a towel roller. You're just a square towel person. You wouldn't understand why my way is better. 
And I think it's in that place that when we hear the word fellowship, it's easy for us to go, oh yeah, fellowship, like that gathering together for tea that we're going to have for Andy and Missy and Scarlett afterwards. That's good Christian fellowship. Or the ability to, on a Facebook group, say, we're going to go hang out at this place. We'd love for you to come and join us, that that's fellowship. And in those moments, while we're there, while sometimes, sometimes conversations will take place to take us just a little bit deeper in life, they tend to be things that are surface. What's going on? How are you feeling? What's happening? Occasionally we'll share pain or suffering and there's prayer that might take place. But in reality, when we think of Christian fellowship, we can think of that surface level relationship that we have with all these people who I'm not quite sure I know everything about and I definitely know I don't want them to know everything about me. But as long as we smile and nod our heads, we'll be all right. Now, the early church, that Acts chapter 2, that we're building this idea of what a devoted life looks like, that is beyond just ticking the boxes, they were devoted, it says, to fellowship. Now, you remember a few weeks ago, I reminded you that they weren't devoted to those tasks to do, they were devoted to the person of Jesus. And because they were devoted to the person of Jesus, those things were an outgrowth, a consequence, a product of that devotion to Jesus. And if we remember that our devotion to Jesus leads us to receiving these gifts of grace that are God's story, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, that it leads us completely to understanding Jesus, enabling us to be able to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as we love ourselves. Then it's at that moment that we recognize that fellowship there for them and fellowship now, if it is an outgrowth, if it is a product of our devotion to Jesus, must be much deeper than just I hope you had a good week. We'll see you next Sunday. But we struggle in that, don't we? And part of it, I believe, is because we want to have people who are like us. If I'm at my most honest, I will say everything would go swimmingly if everybody believed the way I believed. Christina Cleveland wrote a book called Disunity in Christ. And in it, she talks about her relationship with the church and how she came to know Jesus and what it looked like as she walked in that path. She said she began to go to a church and gather with other people. But as that gathering continued to grow, she noticed that her group began to get smaller and smaller. And ultimately, in the end, she said this, I chose to build a community with people with whom I could pretty much agree on everything. Let me remind you that the title of her book was Disunity in Christ. See, there's a place in our hearts that says, I know that I must be right. So, if I get people to agree with me, then we can have deep fellowship. And the reality we see not only in that church early on, but even today, is that fellowship takes us to places 
that we are gathered with and living life with those who are different than us. Scott McKnight has a book called The Fellowship of Difference. And in that book, he says this about the church. The church is, a, is God's world-changing social experiment to bring unlikes and difference to the table, to share life with one another as a new kind of family. And when this happens, we show the world what love, justice, peace, reconciliation, and life together are designed by God to be. The church is God's show and tell to the world to see how God wants us to live as his. We see in this passage in Hebrews a call to what it means for us to be in deep fellowship. This place where he says to them, I want you to consider how to stir one another onto love and good works. Now there's one thing that we need to know at this point. If we are about being devoted to Christ, then we receive the gift of fellowship, which means that if I'm going to spur you on to love and good works, then I need to know who you are in your particularness how God has made you in the life that you've lived the experiences that you've had the things that inform how you think and act and respond to those things that are around you and that happen within you it is my call in Christ then to walk in a way that says I know you I understand you, and I love you. And in that place, let me push you forward gently to what God has called you to do and grow deeply in the knowledge of his love for you and for him. It means this, as Scott McKnight would say, love then is not primarily an emotion or an affection. But rather, love is a covenant commitment to one another. A commitment that does not deny emotions, but a commitment that reorders our emotions. It's a place where we go back to St. Augustine who says, there are loves that we have in our lives. And the problems that we encounter in this world spring from the fact that we have a disordered love. That there are things that are small that we should love small. There are things that are medium that we should love medium. There are things that are large that we should love large. And then there is the ultimate thing that we should give our ultimate love to. Yet we will sometimes take a medium thing and make it the ultimate thing. And it causes our loves to get switched around. We do that within ourselves because we think as we look out at other people, they have a disagreement here or a disagreement here with me. They're just not my type of person. I just can't quite get along with them. And so that ability for me to feel comfortable in that relationship causes me to disorder my love and say, but I can't love them as well as I should. That's the reason why Scott says, no, it's a covenant commitment to the other person. That covenant commitment is not something that can spring from myself. It's something that only springs from Christ. 
That's the reason why this particular passage where the writer of Hebrews says, let us consider how to stir one another on towards love and good works, follows after this amazing statement. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter into the holy place, meaning since we have the ability to see God, to know God, to understand God, by Jesus' blood, we have this new and living way that's opened up through his sacrifice on the cross. And since he has gone on before us, let us then draw near to God and to each other in true heart. Why? With full assurance of our faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean of an evil conscience, those things that would cause us to go, I just don't quite want those people to know everything about me. We can move in that direction because we are sprinkled clean by the work of Christ. And so we can be bold, not celebrating our sin, not celebrating those things that are the disordering of my love, but saying to others, look, (laughs) right now, I'm flipped around. Right now, I'm loving in a really wrong way. I've elevated something in my life that's so beyond where it should be. But in that place, because we're walking in faith, we can believe that God has formed the group of people that I'm telling that to for them to receive it, not in a way that would cause shame, not in a way that would say, oh, well, then I can't hang out with you anymore. But in a way that allows those folks to come into that brokenness and so gently bring the mercy and grace of Christ so that it can bring healing. And empower us then to reorder our lives through Holy Spirit and walk in new ways. And so we have a hope that is unwavering, it says. Why? Because we're good at it? No. But because God is the one who keeps his promises. And so what that means for us as we walk in this gift of fellowship is I need to be able to say to you and you need to be able to say to me, I am here with you, for you, in this way that we're walking. That I will move in a way that lets you know me deeply so that you can let me know you deeply. Because it's in that recognition and movements that we begin to grow deeper into the grace of God, knowing that He is the one who has made the way. Because the reality is, tomorrow, you and I might think of one thing that we will elevate and say, well, If people don't believe exactly that way or act exactly that way, then they're wrong and I can't be with them. Now listen carefully. There's truth. (laughs) And that truth is God's truth as much as I'd like it to be mine. And that truth reigns supreme over all things. 
And we see that truth most clearly expressed in Jesus Christ. And through his love and mercy and grace and pursuit, the places that he calls out injustice, the places that he lifts up the righteous, that it's in Jesus that that truth is fully seen. And we know that God's story is the thing that reveals us that. But we also recognize that it is pointing us towards Jesus, the Christ. And so there are places in our lives that the truth that we have needs to be sacrificed to the truth of who Jesus is. And so in those places, we have to be open to let people walk with us. Because here's the reality. I'll always believe I'm right. Or I will always believe that I could never be right. And here's the thing. They're both false. We are right, correct, whole when we allow the truth of who Jesus is, (laughs) allows a funny word there, when the truth of who Jesus is takes over. Not in some manipulative way, not in some domineering way, not in some controlling way, but in a way that only Christ can do. See, because here's the thing, we're so afraid of difference that we don't fellowship with one another because you're too different. Yet the one who was different, so different that he was transcendent, became exactly like us. Philippians 2 reminds us that though he was God, Jesus became man. And dwelt among us. That Jesus became a man not only just as a man, but so far as a servant. Till death on the cross. And so while it might seem impossible in our flesh, because it is. It is more than possible in the work that Jesus does. And that means for us, there are times where we must move towards reconciliation. There are also times where we must wait patiently to see movement of the others so that we can maybe move in reconciliation. Because, you see, Jesus came to his enemies. But his enemies always didn't come to him. They remained those enemies. So we walk with Christ in that place. That means that when we see places of need, we try to step in as best we can. When we see places of celebration, we try and celebrate as best as we can. It means that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we love others as we would love ourselves. I threw it away a couple of weeks ago, this line that said, Jesus isn't saying there that you need to learn to love yourself better. (laughs) You already know how to do that just fine. (laughs) He's saying when you begin to seek others in the way that you seek what you want, when you begin to seek the good for the others the way that you seek the good that you want, then you will be moving in the self-sacrificing love that God has for us. And we become empowered to do it. 
you know, it's been interesting for me to live in a Commonwealth country and pay attention to what is happening during this last couple of weeks with the death of the king and her funeral and memorial service. It's been really interesting to watch how people from other Commonwealth countries, which by the way, because of my American ignorance and arrogance, I didn't realize there were so many Commonwealth countries still around. That's incredible. <laughs> to watch how these people from different places in different languages and different cultures all gathered around this one figure. And there's places that we can have disagreement about what the monarchy is and all of those things. But in general, <laughs> there was a movement of countries and people who, for the most part, were looking at this one figure in this one role who had lived a life fairly well. And their disagreements kind of went away. But then Geelong took on the Cindy Swan, Swans, sort of. And you picked up the morning paper and you looked at the conflicts that are happening around the world and you said, oh yeah, that little baby that knows it all or that visitor from another planet will tell me that it's broken, that there's division and not unity. But the glory for us is this, that God is the king for everlasting and everlasting and everlasting. And his greatest desire is for us to be in unity in our diversity. <laughs> and so it's that type of fellowship that is the gift of grace that we have. That I don't have to change your mind on things that are secondary and third and fourth. I might want to, but that shouldn't break us apart as long as we agree on the ultimate, that God is king and Christ is the one who leads us to him. Let me pray for us. Father, if there's anything that's not from you today, I just ask that it burns up and that it goes away. But if anything is from you today, we ask that it takes root in our hearts, that it bears good fruit, and ultimately it brings glory to your name. Let us live as those who have been bought by you. Thank you for bringing us into unity in you. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Let's stand and